I think non-binary is more of a legit concept than transgender people. I don't accept non-binary as a concept. I consider it to be something essentially a fad that was recently made up that perpetuates and, and traffics in crude gender stereotypes. Hey, everybody, I'm Brad Palumbo, and welcome back to the Damage Control Podcast, where we are reclaiming the debate over LGBT issues from the insane extremists on both sides who've taken it over. My guest today is Nalia Akhtar, who is a liberal transgender woman, and we're going to hear her out on many of the issues we've covered on this show, from female sports and whether trans athletes should compete, to the ethics and legality of child transitioning. Don't worry, it's not going to be a screaming, interrupting, hostile, shouting match. I'm just going to give my perspective and let her give hers and let the audience decide for themselves what they think is right. If you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. We're almost at 100,000 here on YouTube, which is just awesome. And don't forget to like and comment with your thoughts about how you thought this conversation went, what you agreed with Nalion, what you disagreed. And as always, I'll round out the show by reacting to some insane LGBT TikToks. Now buckle up and let's get into it. Nalia, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here, Brad. Yeah, it's great to have you. So uh, I've seen some of your videos. You've seen some of my videos. I think I've played a couple of your viral clips on the podcast before. Um, but, you know, I've followed you on TikTok for a while. I think your stuff is interesting. We're definitely in pretty different places on a bunch of issues. But I'm actually glad you've come on the podcast because I have been looking for some time for a liberal transgender person to come discuss some of these issues. And I've been turned down at just about every every everyone I reached out to. So thanks for coming on. Maybe to just start What's your story? When did you transition? When did you know? Like, how did you come to be the Nalia that's with us today? Uh, before I go into that, I just want you to know that I have some beef with you. And uh -oh. the reason why is because you're you live in Michigan. I do. Yeah, I'm from Ohio. We are bound oh. to kill each other on this podcast today. Yeah, well, I'm not a football fan, so I won't have I'm, and, and also, I'm a Michigan transplant, so okay. I like only moved here for my boyfriend. He's from here. I'm from New England. Okay. So I'm not. I'm not even really. It's not like I'm a diehard Michigan fan or anything. Okay, we're friends again. Um, so my background. So um, I'm. I'm actually a baby trans. So I transitioned. Um, I would say it started on the process like 2019. I knew since I was a little kid. I grew up in Ohio to very conservative family. But my family was Muslim, so I was always a little bit of an outsider. And given that I was in uh, Ohio, um, my family was Democratic, but most of the people who were around me were Republicans. And so I've always been extremely comfortable just kind of being on both sides. After I graduated, I came to Arizona for a job. And again, it's like, all right, I'm the blue person. There's a lot of red people around me. What good can I take from that philosophy? What good can I keep from mine? Mm hmm. So I've heard I've seen you describe yourself as a transgender moderate. And that's a very interesting phrase to me. What does that mean to you? That means that I can simultaneously believe that children should have access to gender affirming care and also believe that trans women should not compete in women's sports. I think there's nuance in all of the issues that we have and they have to be determined separately because ultimately what we're doing right now is renegotiating what it means to be transgender in society. 
Yeah, so that's what I, I wanted to ask you about because we're going to go through a couple of these issues in, in a little bit of a deeper depth later. But what I've seen some of your videos where you kind of poke at the left. What are some things about what what I would describe as left wing transgender activism? You know, a lot of the more prominent types on TikTok, uh, the political types on Twitter that rub you the wrong way or that you see as counterproductive. I think the general feeling of entitlement in anybody, left, right, center, that bothers me. And what I mean by that is the minute you decide that you're transgender isn't the minute where everybody needs to be calling you she, her, right? There has to be some level of believability in order for people to proceed and be comfortable with that. And what I find, left, right, or center, I'm respected by everybody because I put an effort into my appearance. Now, if you don't have the means to do that yet, that's okay, but you have to be a little bit patient with people who are um, not willing to suspend their own reality to accommodate yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do find the the videos of trans activists saying like, my pronouns are, and I'm somebody who will use a trans person's pronouns to be clear, um, but I, I, I like I always see these videos. I, I I showed one on the podcast last week of I'm a I'm a kazoo kid. I'll blow a kazoo if you use my wrong pronouns. I'm like, are you trying to make me want to misgender you when I actually don't care? Because it's like sometimes I think they have the more. Or I see people say my pronouns aren't preferred; they're mandatory. Or I'll, and I'll or they'll like physically threaten you through TikTok to say them or else. And I'm like, that doesn't seem to me like a very effective way to persuade people to accommodate you, that would make me want to dig my heels in. That's exactly why I wanted to join the fold in this conversation, because I had a background in sales. And the number one book in a sales background is how to win friends and influence people. And the absolute wrong way of doing that is by jumping down their throat. And so I kind of want to model good behavior because the strategy that we're employing to uh, be advantaged in some way politically is ineffective. And I do, I want to show people a different way to do it. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate that. And I also think we need more people on both sides who are willing to talk to somebody that's different than them that aren't just constantly throwing name calling. Uh, I, I think the online discourse is, is really toxic. And I'm, I'm not perfect. So I'm sure I've slipped up here or there. But I generally try to respond to people and attack their ideas, but not like make fun of their appearance or you know, call them names or whatever, because those things tend to shut down conversations, including, you know, I've called out people who I really do think are are bigots on the show, but I'm I'm pretty reticent to do that though, because as soon as you start throwing that those words around like candy on Halloween, uh, people stop listening and they pe- people stop. That's one of the things like, I don't know. I saw a video saying that genital preferences are transphobic. And I'm like, yeah. if you're calling no. that transphobic, then you're diluting that term to the point of meaninglessness. Because sorry, that does not make me transphobic. <laughs> like that makes me gay. I know. I, I fully agree with that. And I, I I like your content too. And I followed it for a while. I can tell that you don't, you're not operating in bad faith. And I like that. And I'm the same way. I'm not trying to come and get somebody. Now, I did call somebody a pineapple head for coming for me. And that's what their face looked like to me at that time. So if you come for me, I will come back for you. However, I think I'm trying to do the right thing, be the right type of person and get as many people to 
see my perspective and at least consider it as possible. How has TikTok treated you? I don't know about you, but I, I discovered your content on TikTok, but I've been <laughs> banned three times. I'm on my fourth account. And that's why I focus on YouTube and Facebook and other platforms. I found it to just be totally hostile, censorious. They will take down my videos for a community guidelines violation that doesn't even make sense. Like I've responded to hate comments and then had my posts taken down for bullying. Yeah, I've experienced some similar things. And most of my attacks are if I say something bitchy about religious people, which sometimes I go a little bit far. So I, I deserved a few of those strikes. Um, the other thing is if I'm having a fiery interaction with some sort of person or the third category is when I'm discussing from an intellectual standpoint, you know, the idea of puberty blockers and hormones and children, I think TikTok is uncomfortable with that. Yeah. Well, let's dive into that issue. So I've talked to a bunch of people on this podcast who don't even from the transgender community or gay people or people who are not against trans people who are not against trans adults living their best lives, who don't think children should be allowed to medically transition. So everybody who listens to this podcast, that's my own view. So they've all heard that opinion. Why don't you just take a couple of minutes to, to make the case to people? Well, I, I just want to be clear. I'm not pro children getting hormones or anything like that. I'm pro parents having a choice in whether their child takes a certain medication. Um, one part of that is that there is a little bit of nuance. Like, do I think that we should, if I were a 10 year old, should I have estrogen shoved down my throat? Absolutely not. But if I'm questioning my gender, um, perhaps I should have puberty blockers available to me. So my point of view is very utilitarian, I would say. I think that it's obvious that in life, in order for anybody, for society to take you seriously as a person, you have to look the part you're trying to portray. And the fact of the matter is most people who transition as adults, they are visibly trans. So when you're visibly trans, what is the outcome regarding that? You know, you get discriminated against a little bit more. You get harassed in the streets. There are a lot of stuff that are just undesirable that happen to you. The best way for you to fully pass in society is to start your transition at an age where your natural hormones don't take over your body. That's the difference between how we treat somebody like Kim Petras, who started transitioning as a little girl, versus Dylan Mulvaney, which people are people feel like they can openly dunk on Dylan all the time because she presented androgynous for a long time. Well, if you don't want Dylan Mulvaney, if, if you don't want children to be like Dylan Mulvaney, then you have to give them the ability to transition gracefully with the help of a doctor, with the help of a psychiatrist and with the help of their parents. So I do understand um, that it is more effective to transition, right, when you go down that path. But I, I guess I want to push back a little bit on this notion that it, it can't be done as an adult. I mean, didn't you transition as an adult? I, I think I think you I, I don't know if you 100 percent pass, but you're certainly not giving sir. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm doing well, but I was also extremely calculated in what I did. I reached a senior director position in my company and then I transitioned when I what, took over as a manager in my company. I had a beard because I don't know if this would be um, prohibitive in my line of work. I'm in the financial services. I don't know if I'm going to encounter discrimination or not. What I do know is that I've cultivated a community at work that really, really loves and respects me. So I'm safe. I did the work. But for the average trans person, it's going to be hard. 
Yeah, I get that. I think everything in life is about trade-offs, though. And and a couple uh, big issues I have with kids making these medical decisions. Uh, first, so when we look back kind of decades ago, so gender dysphoria, the definition has changed over time, like what psychiatrists label gender dysphoria, and it has become more strict over time. But when we look at studies of kids decades ago who experienced what was then labeled gender dysphoria, a large percentage, it's really hard to say exactly how many, but a large percentage more or less grew out of their gender dysphoria and ended up being gay men or lesbian women. But they did that when they went, so they experienced gender dysphoria pre-puberty or early puberty. They went through puberty and then ended up not being trans, right? They ended up resolving and they were okay with their biological sex as a uh, maybe a very feminine male who's gay or a an, a very masculine woman who is lesbian. But it was actually the process of going through their birth sex puberty that resolved their gender dysphoria. Whereas if you put kids on puberty blockers, from that point, almost 98% go on to do the full transition. It kind of stops the process that would resolve gender dysphoria for at least a good chunk of people. And then what I say is I know it's not going to be easy. I know it's going to be tough for a lot of these people, but they have to go through their birth sex puberty. And then if it remains and they're 17, 18, 19, you start to transition. But I, I, don't, I think that you're shutting off a very important process but prior to even letting them go through that and see if that's really them. I did not have my life figured out at 10, 11, 12 to make lifelong altering decisions. Did you? That that's a that's a good point. Um, the numbers that I've seen are from you know the National Library of Medicine, and they're saying that the detransition rates are you know less than five percent. And of the people who detransition, a vast majority of them are detransitioning because of social pressure. There's an immense amount of pressure not to transition. So uh, there's a little bit of skepticism that I have towards some of the figures that you reference, but I certainly understand your point. That's why I'm more of a fan of using those puberty blockers to take some more time because I know a lot of us didn't have our shit together as children. And whether you're transgender or cisgender, you know, you're not going to have your stuff together. But what I know for sure is that for every one, you know, every one detransitioner, there's 99 transgender people and they're saying that their lives have been um, damaged by their inability to pass. I, for one, have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get to the point where I'm going to be satisfied with my transition and be able to fully pass and, you know, do all of those things. So I think that from a utilitarian perspective, I just feel like the damage is greater when you take that those medical rights out of the parents' hands. I guess what I'd say is I've seen the detransition numbers uh, that you're talking about. That is it's very low quality data, right? We don't a lot of this is very new. We don't have decades long research. We haven't followed people across the years. Uh, those detransition rates are often like six months out or a year out. I th it also, it looks at the cohort of who is transgender or who is going through medical transition has changed over time. So now we have a lot of people, for example, who, or I guess how many is kind of up for debate. We have some people who are 15, 16 and suddenly experience gender dysphoria for the first time in their life and and go on hormones or go on puberty blockers within a matter of months. The prior cohort, cohort who we have more data on are the trans kids who from five felt like the wrong sex. 
And so to take data that in many cases is based on those people who were who were gender dysphoric for years and years and years, and then maybe transitioned as teens or as adults, to try to draw extrapolations about the current detransitioner rate, I'm not sure we know how many detrans people there are compared to the transgender population. I'm really not sure we do know that to a good degree of certainty. Uh, ultimately, I feel like the government should not interfere with the parents' ability to, you know, give their child medical care, the parent, the doctor, the psychiatrist. I think it ultimately comes down to that for me. All of the numbers that I cited are, are secondary. I think that, you know, every person is an individual case that unfortunately, anytime you're you know, whether you're playing football or you're getting medication or you're going for a drive, there's a risk associated with all of those activities. And I think that the people who love the children should be the ones assessing that risk. I'm a libertarian at heart, so I'm actually incredibly sympathetic to that position and its values. But I've long taken the position that conversion therapy to try to, you know, counselors or doctors, uh, parents who want to put their kids through conversion therapy to cure their sexuality shouldn't be allowed. It's not within the bounds of parental rights. I believe in parental rights, but they are not unlimited. As a society, we do draw lines. Do you think parents, not the government, should be making the decision when it comes to sending their kid to a pray the gay away camp? Well, the kid in that case is unwilling to uh, not always. That. Not always. Not always. Yeah. So if if the child is willing to go through that and the consent is open, I don't know. But I think in those cases, there's also really well documented evidence of harm too. Whereas if you're looking at the burden of evidence as to the transgender issues, you have you know the American Medical Association, the American Association of Pediatrics, the Endocrine Society. The burden of evidence is really on to people who are trying to. Uh, detract from transgender rights and their parents' rights. So in, in the case of, you know, sending people to conversion camp, there's clear evidence that that is something that would harm the child and that it's ineffective. So I think it, it's a little bit imbalanced, but I see what your point is. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, they're not the same thing. But we have to ask that principle of parental autonomy. Is it unlimited? I think basically everyone agrees it's not unlimited. So then it becomes a question of where to draw the line. And I knew like anybody who supports gender affirming care for minors, you would cite like the AMA, the APA, these organizations. I'll just give you my own view on it. I believe those organizations have been infected with politicization, that they have been infected with cringe word woke ideology and that it has superseded science. I was just reading an, an, an article in Pediatrics, which is the like most prestigious peer-reviewed journal in pediatrics, right? And I believe it's affiliated with the, um, the uh, Association for Pediatrics, the APA or whatever it is, but I'm not sure on that, but it's like the top journal. They published an article defending gender-affirming care, making all these claims and all the endnotes some of them, you click on them and it takes you to the wrong link, which genuinely means that the editor of the most prestigious journal in pediatrics didn't even check the links that were the sources for the claims these activist doctors were making. So I don't really trust those institutions. And what we are seeing is that in Europe, 
which started transitioning kids about a decade or two decades before kids through this medical process. In the United Kingdom, in Sweden, in Finland, they've actually been doing this longer than us. And there, health authorities are saying the exact opposite. They are pulling back. They are saying that maybe we went far too quickly with this stuff. I want to read you just a brief excerpt from The Economist that reported on this and then get your thoughts on it. So they report that in 2020, the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence, NICE, a British body which reviews the scientific underpinnings of medical treatments, looked at the case for puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. The academic evidence found it was it found was weak, discouraging, and in some cases, contradictory. The studies suggest puberty blockers had little impact on patients, cross-sex hormones may improve mental health, but the certainty of that finding was low, and NICE warned of the unknown risks of lasting side effects. So just a little bit more here, but basically similar public health experts in Finland, in Sweden, have reached similar conclusions and saying, actually, this data is is not good. A lot of the studies that show benefits to gender affirming care for minors would be qualified in a literature view as a very low quality. And that's not necessarily the researcher's fault. It's that the data is so premature in many cases. And sometimes the methodology is flawed because of activist research. So why should we take the word of the AMA or the APA over all these European health agencies that are saying something very different about this treatment? couple of different things. I want to agree with you that a lot of the woke stuff has infiltrated a lot of our institutions. I'm also not a fan of things that are overly extreme. But for every iota that woke ideology has infected the left, I feel like religious ideology has affected the right. I think most people's pushback towards transgender and, and gay philosophies are informed by people's crazy religious beliefs and all due respect to anybody who's religious, but you know, if you are relying on fantasy concepts in order to come up with your attitudes towards people, as many of these people who are legislating against us are, we have to talk about science for science. I would much rather be guided by a humanist philosophy than something that came out of a out of things that I just do not believe to be true. As far as, um, you know, some of those European journals, I have to do a lot more research from it. I just I've never seen America as taking cues from European scientists. I think that we have the best scientists in the world and we have the best philosophy towards science in the world. But I have to check those out. Nothing I heard from what you gave me, though, I feel was damning at all or even contradictory. I felt like people are looking into researching these things a little bit more. And I think an effective way to come to conclusions about some of this stuff is to interview more people who transitioned as kids. Right now, we are cherry picking detransitioners. There's specific organizations that are cherry picking detransitioners and hyping up their stories. Well, how about we talk to people who transitioned young and see what their quality of life is? Again, there are famous examples, Jazz Jennings and Kim Petras, Hunter Schaefer, and see what their quality of life is. When it's outside looking in, it's obvious that their quality of life is stronger than somebody than Dylan Mulvaney's or maybe even myself or the average transgender person that you see on TikTok that is looking a little bit rough. Did you just mention, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Did you mention Jazz Jennings there? I did. Do you think Jazz Jennings is doing well? I don't know her. I mean, I don't know her very often, but I think she is happy with the fact that she transitioned. She seems like um, the average American person who 
you know, might be a little bit depressed and, you know, have so, some issues. As I know Jazz doesn't say that she regrets her transition, but I have seen it. And I look, I'm not a, a I didn't watch the show. I've not followed it closely. I do think her life's a bit of a disaster overall. Uh, and this is a total tangent. Um, and also, I think her family is a little bit, you know, they're, 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 they got their family that's on reality TV. <laughs> so I feel like they act like a family that's on reality TV. I would never put my kid on reality TV. <laughs> oh my gosh. But um, I love attention, but not that much. Yeah. I, I put myself, but not my child, maybe when they're yeah. an adult. Um, but it, actually, you know, ironically, that kind of ties to, to the next point I have on this question, which is very simply like, so for example, for a um, male to female trans person or a, a man to woman trans person, um, if you are a, a, a natal male, right, you're born biologically male, and then you have gender dysphoria, you want to transition at 10, 11, 12. If you go on puberty blockers at 10, 11, 12, and then you go on estrogen and you transition, and then by 17, 18, you will actually in many, many cases, be infertile, be unable to have children because you block puberty before that stage of male puberty where you, you know, develop your testes, you, all that stuff, not to get into the graphic detail. And so, for example, I interviewed a trans woman, Brianna Ivy on this show, who was told at like 13 or 14, do you want to have kids? And of course, like any 13 or 14 year old was like, no, of course not. I don't want to, what? I don't want kids and discarded that and went along with the transition. And now we'll never be able to have biological children. I don't think that's a choice, a 12, 11, 13, 14, whatever year old. I don't think that's a choice they can make. I don't think that's a choice they can give an informed consent to. I don't know. I don't feel comfortable asking or letting a young person make a life altering decision like that. I, I totally get that perspective. And I reference the same, you know, American Medical Association, American Association of Pediatrics. Most of those authorities say that puberty blockers um, are mostly safe for most people. When it's extended usage of time, that's when it could be um, a little bit unsafe or cause fertility issues. And then if you do hormones, that's a different thing. And if you get surgery, that's a different thing. So there's there's levels to it. And when we're talking about what's administered to children, I think puberty blockers from the science that I've seen are fine. Now, the question of can the child make a choice at that age about their fertility for the aforementioned reasons, I don't necessarily think it's always you're either going to be able to have children or you're not. I don't think that's the case at all. Gigi Gorgeous has been on puberty blockers and hormones and all sorts of crazy stuff for years. She's having a biological kid with her transgender male partner right now so it's very much within the realm if you of freeze your sperm it is possible but you you typically lose the ability to do it organically you'd have to deposit and freeze your sperm and then preserve it for you that's my understanding yeah i, I haven't looked at this i i just know that i there are plenty of transgender people with biological children flame monroe is another one that's had children with uh, biological females at that so t for t couples having children all day every day and the science supports that as well, um, you know, but it's interesting to me that people only really care about transgender people's fertility and having children and stuff like that when it comes down to denying us rights. Because if I were to walk into um, like to adopt a child or if I were to tell somebody I were to have children just in normal conversation, people would be looking at me like we don't want this freak to have a kid. You know what I mean? Well, so I, 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 I know you wouldn't, but I, I know you're not coming from bad faith. I just feel like most of that feels like a, a 
a rhetorical kind of conversation. It's like, listen, every medical, um, a lot of medical things that you do have can have consequences. And at some point we have to let the families of those who choose those outcomes for their children to take responsibility of that. However, the science shows that the child is probably going to be okay. I guess I'm just not sure I agree that it shows that. Uh, and I, I also think that once upon a time, all the leading medical organizations, and I'm not directly comparing the two, but once upon all the time, all the leading medical organizations endorsed lobotomy. And now we look back on that in horror. So it's like, I, I, I don't know about you, but since the Miss Rona era, not to trigger the YouTube censors, I have lost a lot of faith in the experts and the idea of apolitical science. I've lost a lot of faith in, in those institutions and in that concept. I, I agree. So have I. You know, that's one of my moderate standpoints. I'm like, okay, well, if the vaccine wasn't as effective as we thought it was going to be, then was it right to have such a harsh penalty for people who didn't take it? So I, I agree with you there, but I don't think we should paint with too broad of a brush, right? So just because one institution is a little bit broken doesn't mean everything associated with that institution is broken. So I hear you on that. I'm with you on that. Um, but I'm always erring on this a side of transgender people having bodily autonomy and their families having choice. That's the philosophy that guides me. Well, I have spoken out, and here's our point of common cause, very vociferously in defense of the rights of adult adults to medically transition, including against state laws that have been proposed that would ban it till 21, 25, 26. Uh, but we basically all agree that children don't have unlimited bodily autonomy. So I do view that question a little bit differently. But you know what? You have your perspective. I have mine. I feel like we both had a chance uh, to kind of explain it. Let's talk about one last thing before we go. I have always understood that gender dysphoria is a real thing. Trans people are a real thing. Doesn't bother me in the slightest to accommodate them. I don't accept non-binary as a concept. I consider it to be something essentially a fad that was recently made up that perpetuates and, and traffics in crude gender stereotypes. Um, what's your view on it? Okay, I'm going to be canceled by the trans community for what I'm about to say about it. I think non-binary is more of a legit concept than transgender people, the transgender concept. I'm going to tell you why. Right now, we are in the process of negotiating the social contract for transgender people. What are transgender people? What am I? I am somebody who's biologically male that wants to live life as a female, right? So now I'm over here asserting that, you know, trans women should be able to go to the bathrooms that they want to, but they should not be able to uh, compete with cis women in sports. What is that except the third category, right? I'm not in my mind thinking I am exactly the same as a biological woman because the fact of the matter is I'm not. I'm also not socially the same as you. You and I have different risks because the way that we present differently. So if anything, there is a social, there is a third category and it is not in the binary. And that has always been reflected throughout time. Um, if it were up to me, if I were the president of America, I would, you know, write out some um, social rules and think about these things out loud. What So if somebody is in a third category, how do we treat them? And that's how a lot of governments around the world have thought about transgender people. It is a Western concept that trans women in this country are like, oh my God, trans women are women. We are definitely women. 
trans women in Thailand and Bangladesh and India and Pakistan, they think of themselves as a third gender category. And that actually leads to a lot less cultural friction. So if anything, in my opinion, non-binary is more of a legit concept than some of our modern conceptions of trans womanhood. That's interesting because I actually think the concept of trans womanhood or trans man fits into a gender binary, right? It, I want to be in the other binary. Now, what I would say is this, there are only two sexes and then there's a rare, very rare condition of intersex. But generally, when we're talking about non-binary, I view the intersex thing as a red herring because we're almost never talking about people who are intersex. So what you have in a non-binary person is either a biological male or a biological female. And I don't believe in gender stereotypes. So I think it is totally fine if a biological female wants to have short hair and a nose ring and change their name to Max or whatever I just think that makes them um, a masculine or androgynous female. I don't think it makes them something special. That's a they, them. That's a third thing. Because I don't think that makeup or dresses are what constitute a woman. But when I say they, them, and you close your eyes and th you think about what that is, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So it, it's when we use, when we invent new words to describe new things, it's because there's a necessity for them. And so I get where you're coming from, for sure, with the sex binary and with the gender roles and things like that. But I understand the legitimacy and the necessity of that work. But I do think that they, you know, that group is very, very outspoken <laughs> on TikTok and stuff like that and co-opting a lot of transgender um, issues. But I, I do find legitimacy there. And I, I, I view a lot of them as the ultimate expression of freedom from gender roles. Like if you're a guy that has a beard and a dress, it's like, who am I to stop you? And what rules are you supposed to follow? I like, think I think be, that's a, it would be a rejection of gender roles if they were a guy who was doing that. Not if they were saying, because I want to wear a dress, I must be a they. I can't be a man. That's actually, to me, inherently reinforcing the gender stereotypes. And the issue I have is that I don't believe being gay is a choice. I don't believe that having gender dysphoria and being someone who's trans is a choice. I don't really think anybody would choose those things. But I view non-binary is, is more like a fashion statement. It's more like the new goth, right? It's like a, this is my aesthetic. This is my personality. And it's not something that is a legitimate um, like innate characteristic in the same way. I view it more like a personality trait. And so I resent it being lumped up, lumped in with a demographic group. Yeah, I, I see your point in that. I think there's a lot of people where, you know, a lot of expressions throughout time in history where non-binary was a recognized and understood thing. I think it's, it's a more ancient concept of gender than transgender is. But do I also agree that a lot of people are co-opting it to draw attention to themselves right now because it's trendy? A thousand percent. And I make fun of those people, too. All right, Nalia. Well, this has been a pleasure. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, I will put the link to your TikTok and anything else you want me to promote in the show notes. Uh, but thanks again for coming on. And uh, we'll have to have you back sometime. Likewise. Thank you so much, Brad. 
cutting in here, guys, because if you like this podcast, you should also check out my political podcast, The Base Politics Podcast, which I co-host with my co-founder of Base Politics, Hannah Cox. And on this week's episode, we talked about Vivek Ramaswamy going beast mode against the woke media, AOC sparking an immigration debate, and Gen Z TikToks complaining about how hard it is to be in the modern workforce. The links to this week's episode are in the description, so go check us out on YouTube or podcast platforms if you want more of my content. Now, back to the show. All right, guys, it's time for everybody's favorite part of the Damage Control Podcast, where I react to some unhinged, woke LGBT TikToks and try not to lose too many brain cells for your enjoyment. Now, buckle up and bear with me as we try to decipher through whatever the heck this TikTok is supposed to mean. Yes, general preferences are always transphobic. You're welcome. No, but seriously, deciding that you don't want to be intimate with someone because of the genitals they have is transphobic, particularly like if you think about in this case, this means that this person is not open to dating trans women, which invalidates their womenhood. Not only that, it makes assumptions about the way that trans people are going to want to use those genitals. The idea that trans people use the body parts that they have in the same way that cis people with those same body parts do is transphobic. Say it with me. General preferences are always transphobic. Say it with me. You're homophobic, babe. Y'all remember the whole it's okay to be gay thing? Yeah, apparently it's not okay to be gay anymore. Apparently now being gay makes you transphobic. This is crazy and it makes no sense, but it's like the horseshoe theory, right? When you go so far to one extreme, you end up back at the other. What they're saying is not materially different from the people that are suggesting that gay people should just be choose to be straight. Newsflash cupcake. Biological sex is what determines sexual attraction, not gender identity, not your inner sense of self, not pronouns, but your physical biological sex and the many manifestations of it, including your genitals. It's not okay for you to tell somebody that they're bigoted or hateful because of the way they are, who they're attracted to. It's not a choice and it's not up to you. It's insane that I even have to tell an LGBT activist that it's not okay to call gay people bigots for not being attracted to female genitalia. Am I being punked? Like, is Ashton Kutcher going to come? The Gen Z won't even get this reference. <laughs> is Ashton Kutcher about to come out with the cameras and say, I'm being punked? Because I don't know what the heck is going on in the alphabet community these days, but they have lost their minds. There's something predatory, too, about the way these people are basically trying to say you have to be attracted to them or you're a bigot and you should be canceled. Like, it's okay for people to not be attracted to you. I don't know why you feel entitled to other people's sexuality, but that's something you need to resolve within yourself because it's not going to change on our end. I can guarantee you that. When the Christian conservatives used to say, pray the gay away or choose God instead of your sins or whatever, That didn't work. And it won't work now when you're doing it just dressed up in woke claptrap and TikTok nonsense. Up next, try to keep up with this TikTok. It might be a bit of a challenge. (laughs) 
Everything I say about gender is influenced by my whiteness, which is obvious, but there's an interesting second part to this. The rejections of gender and gender roles that I create and embody will still come from my whiteness, those acceptable to my constructions of self as a white person. I will likely uphold and encourage white beauty standards and see and more immediately accept other white rejections of gender. Essentially, even the most critical analysis of gender I have will still be white, and white gender rejection can and does uphold whiteness and white supremacy. Queer appropriation of African American vernacular English is one example of this, as is mainstream exclusion of fashion excellence in black representations of masculinity, while celebrating white men for having basic hygiene as if they're revolutionaries. Of course, that's not to say we can't attempt to take in other viewpoints, but it's still going to be a fundamentally white perspective. Even this is a white perspective, it's literally the only one I can give you. So if you want to learn how other people construct and deconstruct gender, you need to learn it from someone who doesn't look like me. Because the f did he just say? I've listened to that several times now, and I still can't decipher what f at least 50% of that is supposed to mean. It's like, oh, what are those called? The things where you plug in the random words, the games we used to play as kids, like insert an adjective, insert a noun, whatever, and you don't know what the, what the prompt is, so you insert your adjectives and your nouns, and then it doesn't make any sense, and that's the fun of the game. It's like that's what these people do when they make their TikTok videos. The long and the short of it, though, is this guy's basically saying that even within the trans activist community, he can only give you a white perspective on gender because he's a white person and that infects his entire worldview and opinions. And this is a good example, I think, of how intersectionality and the extreme woke worldview actually becomes really reductive and tokenistic and toxic in its own right. I don't know about y'all, but for me at least, I don't actually believe that the pigment of your skin taints your perspective and determines your worldview and that you are incapable of having a worldview independent of your race. That's what these people are saying. And they are acting like that's progressive. This whole genre of commentary on TikTok, talking about how I'm super woke and intersectional, but I acknowledge how I'm bigoted and I'm inherently flawed in my own ways. And it reminds me of, you know, during the, the Black Death in Europe, the Great Plague, they had these people that would go around and whip themselves in public, hoping to please the gods so that they would be spared. They were called the flagellants. They would go around and they would whip themselves and blood would splatter and they would publicly whip themselves to basically beg God, we're suffering, we're acknowledging our pain, please don't strike us down. And I think that's what these people are doing. I think they've seen how insane the cancel culture and the mobbing and the calling everything bigoted and tarring people for one wrong opinion or word has gotten on their own side. And they're so afraid that it's going to come for them next that they're just preemptively confessing to all this racism and problematic stuff that probably doesn't actually exist. But here's the thing for folks like this. You think it's going to save you if you are one of the good ones and you acknowledge your, how inherently flawed you are as a white person. It's not going to save you, babe. It's not. They'll turn on you eventually because that's what they do. And no amount of insane, woke, word salad TikToks is going to save you from that fate. So you might as well not embrace these radical and reductive and extreme views on race. Up next, even this woke TikToker is getting uh, sick of their own community. I'm debating whether or not I hate fake advocates or bigots more. And they're both equally annoying on TikTok. I've, like lost all patience today. It's like crazy because on one hand I have people that are like, 
being gay is wrong, you're a horrible person, stay away from children. And those people are so annoying. And then on the other hand, I have people that are like, I identify as a cauliflower and you can't say Gypsy Rose's real name. And I'm like, oh, there's, there is an in-between. Like we could be respectful of pronouns and not be homophobic and also not use that word as a slur, but then understand it's actually somebody's name that dates back 4,000 years. Like it's just, it, people just follow trends. Trends to either hate gays or love gays. Hate a country, love a country. Hate a group of people, love a group of people. And and now it's politically correct is just random. And then since being politically correct is so random now, we have other groups of people that just say the most absurd, toxic things. They're like, oh my God, well, black people are not smart and gay is wrong. And then you're like, oh my God, you can't say that. But then they come back and they're like, well, everything politically correct doesn't make sense. They're not wrong, but they're also wrong. Like everyone, everyone is wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm losing it tonight, guys. I hope this helps though. So I followed this person on TikTok, Desmond, and they're actually like, pretty darn liberal, but even they can't keep up with the political correct stuff. And I found it hilarious when they're like, political correctness is just random now. And it's really true. I mean, nobody can keep up and they're constantly inventing new fake outrages and new oppressions to be uh, upset about. And it really is exhausting. And I actually agree with Desmond that we are seeing, at least online, I don't know about so much in person or in real life, but online, we are seeing some extreme far-right pockets of actual homophobia, actual transphobia, actual racism really start to bubble up and rear their ugly head. I mean, you can go to my ex account and look at some of the replies that I get, <laughs> but it's all over the place. And it, it is not most people. I still don't believe it's most people. It's not even most people on these platforms, but it's a specific toxic online segment. And they really are coming back in force. And that's terrible. Actual racism and actual bigotry is a horrible thing. And I do fault those people for going down the, that path. But I also think what Desmond is saying here is actually an important piece of the puzzle that for so long, progressives and people on the left called everything they didn't like racist, called everything they didn't like, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, blah, 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 blah. They threw these terms around like candy on Halloween. And then what do you know? The boy who cried wolf cried wolf so many times that people stopped coming. And now we have some actual bigotry resurfacing in places. And we've lost the vocabulary and the willpower to call it out and to be immune from it and to recognize it for what it is. Because for so many years, these people called every little thing under the sun, some form of problematic bigotry. Well, now we're reaping the dividends of that. And I don't think it's pretty. And I don't think it's something any of us should want to see continue. Up next, this TikToker thinks you should make being gay your whole personality. I hate when people say, I don't care if you're gay as long as you don't make it your whole personality. I cannot relate. If you're gay and you're not making it your whole personality, get with the program like join us it's fun it's fun it's fun my least favorite part of being gay is being attracted to men and i don't even mean that in like a catchy like fox news headline type of way i mean it like it's bad out here and like if being gay was only when i had sex with men i'd be gay like twice a year you know like i'm not really committed to that whole bit i was born to tip a drag queen a dollar like when i tip a drag queen a dollar transcendental meditation like when i hear a woman like belt a high note oh oh that is what that is what i was made for
That's what we're here for. So this guy, he made me laugh a couple times because some of the stuff he said was funny. Like, I only do that twice a year. I'm only gay twice a year. Um, but no, I, I actually, I do take issue with this. Like, babe, being gay is not a personality. So you really have to have something more than that to offer or you will be lacking in the personality department. And I do find it really unfortunate when these woke types, they often end up accidentally trafficking in stereotypes. Like it's not in fact true that gay people are all sassy and effeminate and feminine and love musical theater or whatever. And, you know, for the gay people that are like that, that's totally fine. I don't judge that or look down at that at all. There's also a lot of gay people who are just same sex attracted, but like sports or are masculine in a traditional sense or in whatever it's like it doesn't actually have anything to do with those things now are those things sometimes more common in gay people i think yes i and i think it's kind of complicated why that might be but it's not always the case there's nothing inherently about those things that makes a person have to be gay there are even some heterosexual people who are stereotypically gay but aren't actually gay and i just don't know why these people have gone so far down the woke mind virus that they've started trafficking and perpetuating stereotypes it's like how do you go so far that you end up in this reductive and old-fashioned view of what it means to be gay or straight or a man or a woman like no liking makeup doesn't make you really a woman being sassy doesn't mean that you're gay none of these things are actually true or dispositive in any way and i don't know why people who call themselves progressives continue to traffic in them and again if being gay is all you've got to offer in your personality you might want to work on that all right guys that's all the alphabet tiktok i can handle in one sitting without bringing back up my lunch i don't think any of you want to see that let's be honest so that'll be it for now but if you enjoyed this do drop a like comment and do consider subscribing on youtube or facebook or wherever you're watching this right now and I'll see you all later.